So this is um, coming to the end of our first uh, full day of the Thanksgiving retreat. And um, uh, very much been a day of arriving, as was encouraged by Sharda last night and this morning, of arriving into the retreat from the, from the momentum of our life, and um, adapting, beginning to adapt into the schedule and the container and the silence, which of course points us directly more to our immediate experience of uh, the body and all that we're with, feelings, sensations and memories. And, you know, so also arriving into that, into being here within ourselves and uh, pro- probably for many of us, um, that involves um, coming into connection with the momentum, the sense of momentum that uh, we might have stopped in retreat, but there's a kind of momentum that continues. Uh, it's not, not always easy just to, to switch everything off. You know, the, um, you know we experience our, our lives are very much you know, this uh, sense of uh, karma or momentum or momentum as karma or karma as momentum is what we experience as our lives, which has uh, all sorts of qualities within it, perception and feelings, tones and emotional flavor and narratives, um, memories, sort of a sense of where we're going and uh, what we've been. And uh, arriving into that momentum and beginning to steady uh, within that, uh, it's it's quite uh, challenging. Um, And within this larger framework of uh, been reflecting that this is a Thanksgiving retreat, that um, it's a very, I'm very aware it's a very American um, holiday and observance, and has for um, many people all sorts of resonances and meaning. Uh, memories also, perhaps going right back, obviously going right back you know, in this from this culture into childhood, family, um, society, all the social and family and. Uh, cultural conditioning that goes with that. So it has it can also be, have a lot of power to it. So this week that we're together, there's this underlying current of we're entering into this retreat during a holiday season with a, has a a particular sort of tone to it and resonance for us all individually in different ways. And for myself, not growing up in this culture doesn't have quite the same impact, although I have been attending Thanksgiving dinners with uh, Kitty Sorrow's family for many years when we've been in Tennessee, um, which have been very, very pleasant and delightful, but not perhaps the same charge that it might have if I actually grew up in the culture. Um, but even so, the the theme of gratitude or giving thanks is, a, is an important theme for us to come into contact with. So I'm glad that we have this theme that will um, run throughout the retreat, either for us personally in our own contemplation, or we'll be bringing that theme into some of our Dharma reflections. Um, and rather than being 
you know, just thinking in an abstract way or an idealized way or some somewhat disconnected way or a sense of I should think like this in terms of what we're grateful for. I quite like coming into relationship with that sense of gratitude through the Pali word for gratitude, which is katanyuta, Pali being the one of the, or the original language that the Buddhist scripture was written down in, very, very similar colloquial form of Sanskrit. This word katanyuta means knowing what has been done, coming into relationship with, with what has been done, what is already here. So it has this sense of reality to it. As, as we start to come into relationship, knowing what has been done, what is here. You know, so many multifaceted dimensions to that. But coming into relationship with the reality of knowing what has been done for us personally, collectively, culturally, it's a very powerful process. You know, and so even in a very small way of knowing what has been done by coming into relationship with this momentum that we experience today as we arrive into the retreat and yet find ourselves sliding off the, the uh, meditation, which is the encouragement to be with the body and the breath, and then again and again we can find ourselves, the mind just flipping away into that momentum or probably some resistance like, you know, I, did I really sign up for this retreat for 10 days? <laughs> you know, suddenly, I mean, this is, it sounds like a good idea when we're not on retreat. <laughs> Longing to go on retreat and, you know, un, unhook from everything. And then when we come into the reality of being with the momentum of what we're with, then it can, you know, it's not so easy. You know, we can experience sometimes resistance or dislocation or what we're coming into relationship with is is uh, is not is not comfortable you know so getting to know ourselves in this way is 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 a practice you know that's why we call it a practice um, and and it has a, has a challenge within that you know it's much easier to keep thinking about what's going to happen and planning projecting into the future, sort of making our castles in the sands of the future, you know, where there will be something that is all right. So the mind will move in that way. um, And it's hard to bring that momentum back into relationship with now, that mind that's moving, to slow it down enough, to be humble enough, to be with something like one breath. It's quite a challenge. Not, it's not really that exciting <laughs> or, or interesting in a way, although it does deepen into a very uh, profound place as we learn to do this. So, you know, this planning, this moving, this momentum, this is life, this is our life, always moving, always going somewhere, until it doesn't, until it uh, stops. Today, someone had to leave the retreat unexpectedly because they got news that uh, a, a dear one to them, a loved one, had suddenly died of a heart attack. Mm. It was uh, completely unexpected, and it was a shock. You know, they, they were they were reflecting. Um, they didn't really have time, maybe, to say what they thought. Maybe they would have time 
and suddenly there wasn't the time, you know. It, uh, suddenly it's that quick, it was, you know, that sudden. Uh, and so it's a, it's a powerful reflection for us because we don't, you know, when all our planning and all our projection and all our assumptions, we don't often figure that particular piece of reality into, into uh, our, our, the pictures that we make about ourselves and our lives. That uh, it's uncertain, you know, that, uh, in, that it's not certain. It's an uncertain lifespan. We don't know um, in regards to death. We don't know when that will come to us or in what way or how long we exactly have. Um, and it's not a contemplation to, to bring up a dread or fear, but it's a contemplation that our teacher Ajahn Chah said it's important for us to pick up every day of our lives because we're in the practice of becoming realistic rather than idealistic. It's a, the meditation is coming into relationship with reality rather than projecting sort of spiritual ideals so when we do start to stop and come into relationship with reality, then this is one of them. To bring that into the mandala of our consideration. At this time is precious, our human life is precious because there is death. It's not an endless contract. It's a, it's a temporary arrangement. And we don't know when that will visit, but surely it will. Is uh, the um, contemplation that we would chant every day in our monastic life, all that is uh, beloved and pleasing, all that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. So everything that we hold as mine, beloved and pleasing to me, will, you know, has this nature to, to, to uh, arise but also to pass. This is its nature everything that we that we hold to so this this uh, this is a contemplation you know another thing ajahn chas would say that regardless of time and place wherever we are regardless uh, that this dharma practice that we're cultivating here comes to completion at the place of laying down the burden uh, this is this is where this is what really you know very cornerstone of our practice it brings us to lay down the burden yeah so that uh, when we contemplate something like our death or the impermanence of life or the preciousness of life or the uncertainty of life it helps us to really prioritize and to lay down that burden you know um, to begin to to um, to really reflect, what is our burden? This is what I, I really used to uh, love and still love about a teacher like Ajahn Chah, who's a, a forest master from Thailand. He was very direct in his teaching. Was that it was uh, he would really bring um, one into a very real relationship to things like contemplating our death, and to encourage us to look what what is our burden. One day he was walking with some of his disciples, some of his monks, and he pointed to some very, very large boulders. And he said to them, are they heavy, those boulders? And the monks said, yes, they're really, really heavy. (laughs) And he said, well, they're not if you don't pick them up. (laughs) 
<laughs> so in, in many ways, you know, we pick up these boulders. You know, we've picked up a lot of boulders. And, and they weigh, weigh us down. You know, they're heavy. So in some ways, meditation and the contemplation of impermanence and the suddenness, like, you know, a candle flame just can go out, the suddenness of, the, of death, the unpredictability of it, is a way of helping us to lay down the burdens, you know, what, it, what, uh, uh, what, what we don't really need to keep holding on to. You know, we habitually hold on, the, the mind sort of grasps, clasps, um, holds on. And then we feel, feel this heaviness and this struggle. So, so we can contemplate, this can contemplate what, what is our burden, what, what we, we hold on to. There are many, many things that we hold on to. We, we, we hold on to, you know, primarily at, at the most subtle level, uh, all the things. It's not that we should just suddenly get rid of everything, but it's this identification with, with the things of our life as, as mine, you know, as my possession that is really the, the burden. You know, my body and my health and my problems and my hopes and my plans, uh, you know, or, or my worries about my loved ones and what will happen, um, you know, my concern, will I, you know, will I get it right, whatever right is, you know, will I be loved, will I be abandoned, <laughs> you know, all of these sort of subliminal um, concerns that sort of weigh, weigh in the mind, weigh us down, that, that start to shape and color how, you know, and dis, 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 disconnect us from preciousness of the moment because they, they, they color and distort our relationship uh, but through this momentum that, that uh, picks up you know, such a pace and is run by these unconscious and conscious burdens that we carry about myself and my life and my body and these, these are considerations or we can hold these considerations you know, we can hold them actually more lightly uh, but getting to the place of holding everything more lightly, sometimes it's actually useful to explore, can we put, put them down? You know, so in this practice of coming into a retreat and coming into meditation, coming into the utter simplicity of, of something like being with the breath, it's a practice of putting things down. You know, moment by moment, relinquishing. You know, this, this patinisaka is a, is a lovely word in Pali, as, again, which means it doesn't actually has the sense of letting go or putting down. It has the sense of giving back. You know, so maybe this is another way into feeling gratitude is that we can give back. You know, and I, when I think of that, you know, it really does lighten the burden. It's like it doesn't belong to me, actually, at the end of the day. It's not that I don't have responsibility for my life and all that goes with it, but it's not mine actually in an ultimate sense. So I give it back, you know, in each outbreath, give it back, let it go, give it back to nature, this body, the structures that have been socially conditioned of the heart and the mind, all that we identify with and hold on to and, and what the mind constricts around. 
So handing back all, all this relinquishment is a, is a place that brings us uh, to peace. It allows us to feel peace and, and trust. You know. So we'll explore some of this as we go into the retreat. You know, where this handing back, what, you know, the relief of that, the, the, um, the lightness of that, the lightness of that. One way that we can really um, begin to practice this, because generally speaking, um, it doesn't tend to come naturally to us. <laughs> it's a natural state of being, but generally speaking, we tend to pick up those boulders as we go along. I, I remember when um, Kitty Sara and I, uh, we did a, a pilgrimage couple of times around, around Mount Kailash in, in Tibet. It's like the sacred holy mountain, which is quite a, a workout to do. And um, it's very spectacular landscapes. Um, and actually quite hard to do because the altitude is so high. Um, and so actually when walking around either the mountain or Lake Manasarova, um, each step is very, it's, you know, it's just like, very, it's like you're sort of huge weights on your legs because because it's you know because you're very thin air, so it's extremely demanding. So you really feel each step as you go, and and yet I would see all these beautifuls in in those Tibetan landscapes. There's these incredible, although it's sort of in a way a high desert. There's these incredible colours in the rocks, you know, turquoises and blood reds and sandy yellows and I'd see these amazing stones and I kept picking them up and putting them in my pocket so I thought why this is getting more difficult this 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 you know this doing this core is getting more difficult as I'm going along and then at a certain point I realized I've got to just like empty my pockets you know and if I'm going to make another step I've got to let go what I've picked up you know and I had this moment where I not only emptied my pockets of the stones, but I threw away my passport. I didn't mean to. I think I was intoxicated <laughs> by the, the air. So I just like threw, you know, of one extreme to the other, sort of slogging around with all these stones. Oh, God, I just let it all go, you know. And so I just chucked it all away. And Kitty Sarah said, you might need your passport. <laughs> so there is a middle way somewhere. But... <laughs> But we can't really open somehow or receive anything new until sometimes or, or connect with that deeper trust of the Dharma and feel its support of us. And it's a way it can open us until we sometimes put down those rocks and burdens we carry. But it, it, is, it is a practice. And one way into this practice that the Buddha recommended and I think this is very much the brilliance, many, many brilliant dimensions to the Buddha's teaching. And he said, in this fathom-length body, this perceptive form, this is the Buddha's, quoting the Buddha, I make known the world, its arising, its ceasing, and the path leading to its cessation. In this fathom-length body, this perceptive form, I make known the world, its arising, its ceasing and the path leading to its cessation or the path leading to liberation. Cessation of clinging. So this fathom length body is a great portal, portal into this, uh, this release, this handing back. 
this uh, inner peace and freedom through the practice of, you know, we often resist this so much because we keep sliding away from the, 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 the capacity to come into direct relationship with this body and this breath. But this is where we start. This is what we've uh, been doing today. In the first uh, foundation of mindfulness, which is where the Buddha begins this practice, he encourages us in this uh, Satipatthana Sutta, where he, uh, he encourages his, uh, his uh, disciples. He said, um, this, and Blessed One said this, this, bhikkhus, this is the direct path. It's called the Ekayana Magga, the one-way path, or the path to one. For the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of pain and grief, and for the attainment of the true way and for the realization of Nibbana, namely the four foundations of mindfulness. And what are these four? Here, a disciple contemplates body, feelings, mind, and phenomena. These four foundations. But beginning with this body, bringing attention to this body, and here in this process, you know, just in this sort of graduated way that the Buddha teaches um, us to come into relationship to the body, he teaches that this is a direct path. Direct path to what? Direct path to the purification or the transformation or that which has been held in the shadows, that which we haven't, we haven't illuminated yet with our awareness can become illuminated, that which is unhealed, that which is stuck, those burdens that we cling on to and create suffering or distort and, uh, our energy into patterns of suffering. All of that through this practice begins to release, to sort of comb out, as you, if you like, those blocks and places where we energetically hold and it begins to allow for transformation and purification. And through that process, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation and the disappearance of pain and grief. These aren't small things, but through this simple practice of establishing awareness and uh, mindfulness to the body here and now. You know, it doesn't have to be any particular kind of body. There is no special body or in any particular kind of state. Your body will do. <laughs> it's good enough. <laughs> this body, our body, you know, to bring connection to this body begins the process of the one-way path, the path, the direct path, to the actual overcoming, the surmounting and the transformation and the release from sorrow, lamentation, pain and grief. And through that process, the attainment of the true way and the realization of Nibbana, or the opening up into the stream of the Dharma. So all of this begins as we start to come into contact with this very simple practice of being with body and breath. And as the teaching goes on, the, the Buddha encourages us to do this in a particular kind of way. First of all, 
How does a, a bhikkhu, when I say bhikkhu, can also translate that as for all of us as a disciple, as one intent on following the way of awakening? How does a bhikkhu or bhikkhuni abide contemplating body as body? Here, a practitioner gone to the forest or to the root of a tree or to an empty hut sits down, folded their legs crosswise, sets their body straight, and establishes mindfulness in front of them. So this, in a way, this is our root of the tree, our hut, together. This is removing, this is called viveka, removing the mind. Sometimes it's it's, um, talked about as um, not only um, establishing a place to practice, but also accompanying that. The Buddha encourages us to put away, this word viveka, to withdraw ourselves, to put to one side covetousness, grief, hankering and disappointment and grief for the world. You know, all the things when we think of the world, that tends to be what becomes activated. Longing and covetousness, things that we still want. Grief and disappointment, things that hurt us or the sense of uh, disappointment about how the world is. <laughs> Very easy to feel, and distress and so on. To put that to one side, it's not to ignore it all, it's not to say we can't pick that up, but for now, we put that to one side, we start to establish here, sitting down in our hut together, at the root of the tree together, one is, um, sets the body straight, you know, as possible, you know, to open the chest and aligning the body on the chairs, we sit in the chair or in our cushion, and then establishes mindfulness in front. You know, in a way, this, uh, the original word means actually as primary. So establishing mindfulness as primary, attentiveness, awareness. You know, this, wherever we are, in whatever situation, rather than establishing our, our projects for the future or our you know, worries and um, fear for the future or worries for the future or anxiety for the future or for um, whatever's gone in the past. Uh, So moving in those pathways to establish our practices, to establish, keep establishing in relationship to the body, mindfulness as primary, attentiveness as primary. This is our refuge. And doing so, the disciple uh, breathes in long, knowing breathes in short, and we can talk about that perhaps in the practice session tomorrow morning, but establishes mindfulness of breath within the body, and doing so, breathes in and breathes out, experiencing the body, and then goes on to breathing in, breathing out, calming the body experiencing the body, the um, sabakaya patisangwedi, which means the whole body, sabakaya, the whole body, all the body, uh, to patisangwedi, wedi, to feel, to feel together with, to be, it's not like being an observer out here somewhere, it's like feeling within the body, placing mindfulness awareness within your embodied experience. So it's a very deep, intimate connection and relationship 
to here, to now, to the immediacy of whatever is presenting itself as our experience of body. Breathing with that, breathing with that, breathing in, breathing out. Each breath, little by little, calming the formation of the body. And this is not only the physical body, but we could also say, yes, it is the physical body. This is our one body, the most tangible body, the sensation body. But we can also talk about the mental body and the felt sense body, the heart body. So as we start to practice with the breath, there is a calming of the bodies, our bodies, the calming of the thinking body, the calming of the feeling tone body, and the calming of the physical body. And maybe it doesn't feel calm. (laughs) Maybe when we come into relationship, doesn't necessarily feel calm, can feel agitated, can feel disconnected, can feel dull, can feel resistant. But little by little, just this simple practice, this is the way, this is the path, this is the direct way. It's direct because the body is always here. You can always find it. You can always feel experience of the body. And however many times we slip away or we get lost or we go down all those pathways of grief and disappointment and longing and hope and planning, you know, this practice of keep returning, keep returning, keep returning. This is what mindfulness means, to keep returning back home. So having put away covetousness, hankering and longing, grief and disappointment, establishing mindfulness or establishing awareness with this quality of what's called atapi, which means with interest or with with dedication, with ardor, uh, with commitment. this, this This is actually something we work at because we don't feel very committed. I can see myself not very committed <laughs> to being here. <laughs> you know, I keep going into patterns, these patterns, this momentum, you know, this, this, to, to just run along the pathway of, you know, of, of wherever the mind is going, you know, sort of running out all the time, or just feeling disconnected and in caught in a sense of doubt or whatever it is. So again, so even for moments though, to break that, that patterning, to break that momentum by this commitment and interest, how is it? One question that I find very, very helpful to help generate that sense of atapi, that sense of ardor or, or energy, is the question, how is it now? What's present for you now? So it's an invitation to come into relationship with how is it now. And knowing whatever way we resist to being in relationship with how is it now, that that is our doorway into this one-way, direct path of awakening. Now how is it now? How is it now? You're feeling the body, 
Feeling the breath. You can take a longer breath, a deeper breath. Feeling the breath energy suffusing the body. And then as we breathe out, allowing on the out breath, just energetically that calming, that putting down the burdens, taking the rocks out of our pockets that we carry, that we don't need to carry. Putting down whatever is unnecessary for us in this moment. And then coming back again into an inhalation, allowing that inhalation to guide us into this intimacy of relationship. This training of, of, this is the training of what's called samatha meditation or calming calming meditation, it's that which begins to steady, it begins to allow the mind, the mental energies which are so flighty, so fickle, and on upon which we usually base our trust, you know, our thoughts, we, we, we lean into our thoughts to tell us who we are, how we're doing, what's going to happen, and, and of course, because when we do that, we land up in all sorts of states, because <laughs> it's not a very reliable place to, you know, to, to rest on. Because one minute we can feel great, you know, and the next minute we can just go into a pit and feel it's hopeless or we're hopeless. One minute we can feel like in control, our life is going really well, and the next moment we can feel like it's just uh, it's just overwhelm. And that's just very uh, stimulated by a thinking process. So this this mental fickle, t- uncertain. It's not that thinking or the thought process doesn't have value, but we can train. To train that mind, that thinking, that mental energy, this is what's called the first step for calming meditation, the first jhana factor, it's called vitaka. To train that mental energy to come back into relationship with the body. So this question, a vitaka, a question to direct attention here, using a thought deliberately, like how is it now? Coming into relationship, or a mantra like buddho, meaning be aware, be present. Or a word like being with my in-breath. So you take deliberately a, a thought form, you can take a thought form, and allow that to direct you here so that mental energy which is so flighty begins to settle on the slower settle on the slower rhythm of the body and as it does so that, that the luminosity of the mind begins to infuse the body the body which is so tangled energetically there's lots of tangles in it because we just get driven and we get pulled along by the momentum of our mind and our projects and our aim, the next thing and the body is hurting. And we feel stressed, or we've got tension through the body. So as the luminosity of the mental energy starts to come into the body, the body starts to be suffused with the mind. And it can start to untangle. That awareness of the mind can feel into the body and start to untangle some of those knots and constrictions and places of pain. Just through this simple practice of not only directing attention, but allowing attention to receive the body. 
Receive the, the breath, receive the sensation of our experience here and now. It's a great relief to know actually that's all we have to do. Is to be present as, as fully as we can with the simplicity of breath and body. Um. So right now we don't have to save the world, we don't have to um, sort out all our problems, we don't have to save anyone else. We don't have to hold all those boulders in our mind. You know, and ironically, as we start to be, be more present and be more fully, fill the body with the luminosity of the mind, steady the mind on the body, and begin to absorb into that uh, calming uh, pleasure, even if what we're with isn't particularly calm or particularly pleasant, it's pleasurable anyway to just be here more. It's more suffering to just keep f- flitting around the universe. <laughs> uh, you know, then, then actually we start to tap into this deeper trust. You know, we're starting to, as Ajahn Chah said, not only put down the burden, but relinquish, hand it back, hand it back. And then in that trust, in that deeper listening, in that deeper connection, we start to hear something else, a deeper flow, a deeper current than the reactivity and the pathways of our, of our, um, you know, the structures of our, of our mind, of our patterning. And it's a very, very patient process, this practice. That's why, although it's very utterly simple, it's actually quite demanding and, and somewhat challenging because of the, the habits that we have, you know, the ways that we get distracted. So it's no good, no good just sort of trying to, you know, come in there and judge ourselves or beat ourselves up because we're not good enough meditators. You know, if we're trying to be a good meditator, then you, know, you, you should already hang up the white flag. <laughs> it's not about being a good meditator. We have all these internalized ideas that you know we project onto ourselves of what that might mean. But it's about being real to the moment. It's about bringing ourselves into relationship to the reality of what is. And through this simple practice of a breath, of really coming into reality with this body, emotional body, mental body, physical body, and from the inside, in the meditation, it's an internal, contemplating internally, primarily, at the moment, internally. And realize we have all these projections as to what our experience and who we are, but when we directly contemplate internally, it's a whole different experience. You can start to notice whatever is present there. It is, as is... Uh, 
points to in the sutta for us to look at in the Satipatthana Sutta. Keep looking, keep looking, because death is not only the big death, but it's happening all the time. All the time things are passing away. All the time things are changing. And therefore all the time we have opportunity to let to hand things back, to let them change, to rest, to rest in the heart that's just present. So this, in this, in the, uh, in this first foundation of training, training that we're undertaking in this retreat, this, uh, the Buddha said that um, through this practice we learn to abide, not clinging to anything in the world. The world is still there, you know, arising within the sphere of our awareness, but freed from the clinging. free from the identification. As Ajahn Chah said, regardless of time and place, the whole practice of the Dharma comes to completion at the place where there is nothing. It is the place of surrender of emptiness, of laying down the burden. This is the finish. There's nothing much here, actually. (laughs) It's such a magic show. You know, we're constantly getting enthralled and uh, full of dread and full of fear and full of hope and full of love and full of hate. And it's, oh, I love and I hate. And on and on it goes, you know. It's so exhausting. (laughs) <laughs> and it's just this incredible magic show. Uh, so the place of just in the moment, seeing through the layers, one breath at a time, relinquishing the clinging, handing it back, letting things be as they are, letting the wonderful magic show be as it is. It's amazing. It's incredible. And it's empty. You know, we see that and see that and see that and it's a, it's a place of peace, a place of surrender. So we have an opportunity, this is a retreat, this is a retreat that we can do together, such a special and precious time that we have here together on this land, supporting each other, with all the sankharas, all the formations, all that we're working with, whatever our body's doing, all the stories that we have, all the momentum of our life, it's all here, all happening. And yet at the heart of all of that, there is this patinisaka, this is handing it back, putting down the burden, returning to this fundamental place of surrender, of peace, where we, we, where we can meet each other, where we can rest, In the mornings, 
starting tomorrow morning, we'd like to offer for those that would like to join in, we'd like to offer a, a bowing practice, which helps, it's an inner mudra, it's an outer mudra, outer practice that helps to cultivate this inner mudra, this inner attitude of relinquishment, letting go. The, the bowing practice is um, using the mantra that we started the evening with, Namo Kuan Shu Yin Pusa. Chinese mantra, Namo, I honor, sometimes also translated as I return, I give back my life. Namo, Quan means to regard or to listen. Shu means the world and Yin means sound. Pusa is Bodhisattva. So I bow, I return to the one that listens to the sounds of the world. Everything is sound, whether it has a materiality to it or not, it's all impression. So the one that's listening, not clinging, uh, not resisting, but just present. Sometimes you see Kuan Yin as a beautiful uh, image of Kuan Yin sitting at the back there in her royal pose. You see her at ease. She is known as the one that sits or rests. Sometimes she, sometimes appears as he different uh, forms, male, female, combination of both. Often you see her as sort of expressing the perfect balance of masculine and feminine energy. Kuan Yin sitting in her royal, she's not going anywhere. She's not going anywhere, just at ease. This is a lovely mudra for us to contemplate. Within samsara, within the unfolding of the world, the fire of the world, the haunting of the world, the cries of the world, is contemplating. So returning, so actually Kuan Yin is a metaphor for this deepest awareness, this deepest heart, not ultimately Buddhist or Chinese, although that is a primary uh, lineage through which Kuan Yin appears, but Kuan Yin can take any form, can be like our dog, that we had for, was lived with us for 15 years when we lived in South Africa. Still live there some of the year. But our little dog who brought us a lot of joy and happiness, particularly in the most troubled and difficult times, our dog Jack. And the Zulus would call him Numzan, which means the boss <laughs> or the man. <laughs> you know, he was Kuan Yin, because yeah, he had that love. So it doesn't have to be a great bodhisattva coming down from the sky. It can be your dog. <laughs> it can be that which brings us love, that reminds us to return to this place of the heart. This is the Kuan Yin. So in the bowing practice tomorrow, uh, when you come in, if you'd like to do it, we hold this mantra. It's quite. Uh, we do have a CD to support the practice because it's quite a complex melody, but it's the same words that uh, in the chant we did, Namo Quanshi Yimpusa. And then the form of the practice is that we, we stand together and hold the mantra for one round together. And then my side of the room will bow. So you can either do a full length prostration the same as I'm doing. You can do half length. You can, if you, uh, whatever's comfortable for your body, if you want to sit in the chair and just make an inward bow. The main thing is this inward gesture. The bow is about letting go. So about putting down the burden, and then as the head bows down to the ground, the, the hands just open up. 
this lovely gesture, the palms open, just release. And then after that next round of the mantra, my side of the room stands up, while Kirisara's side of the room has been standing, and then his side goes into the bow. So we just gently alternate one side holding the mantra while the other bows. And then when there's the bell, we finish by holding the standing up together and holding the last round of the mantra together. So if this is a practice you'd like to explore, it's come from the Chinese monastic lineage, then please feel free to do so. Uh, We'll do that in the morning uh, for 15 minutes. Otherwise, you can just do some walking outside and then join us for the sitting at 6.15. We'll go back now to the schedule as it is um, on on the sheets, uh, waking up bell at uh, 5.30. So this bowing practice, whether we're doing a physical bow, uh, like we'll do the practice tomorrow morning, or or whether we're just walking around in throughout the retreat, you know, like going from our room to the meals, coming into the hall, whether we're sitting, whatever struggle we're in, to remember this is actually an ongoing inner mudra that we can cultivate, to keep relinquishing, to keep handing back giving back to Dharma what belongs to the Dharma. And in the process, allowing that to induct us into our own true, unmoving heart, here and now. So we have some uh, uh, walking practice and then come back for the final sitting of the evening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.